Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from the Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. With my first two guests, I'd like to revisit portions of conversations from various sites regarding current developments. First, you'll be hearing from Sergei Rakuba of Mission Eurasia, who shared a report from Moldova during a recent trip to Eastern Europe, including Ukraine. He reported on recent events and shared how the ministry has been involved in responding to needs during the crisis in that region. Then from Washington, D.C., Thomas Glessner of NIFLA, the National Institute of Family and Life Advocates, reported on the March for Life, the first one since the overturning of Roe v. Wade, and brought insight into the flavor of the march and shared observations on the pro-life movement. And on this edition of The Intersection, Jason Grimsley was an expert in his craft, one might say his field. He is a former Major League Baseball player who reached the pinnacle of success with two World Series rings with the New York Yankees, but had notable struggles in his life until he completely surrendered to Christ. Insight from his journey is coming up. Finally, I had a chance recently to talk with Lisa Pierce and Weibo Nikolai of Open Doors, which recently released its World Watch list of the 50 countries with the highest level of persecution of Christians. There are comments coming up from Lisa on the top 10 nations in the 2023 list. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Sergei Rakuba is president of Mission Eurasia, which is active in ministry in Eastern Europe and has been deeply involved in ministering to residents of Ukraine and surrounding countries. In a recent Meeting House conversation from Moldova, he reported on recent occurrences and reviewed the overall work of the ministry in that region. Here now is Sergei Rakuba. I just got just crossed the border from Ukraine into Moldova, uh, where I spent uh, several days in Kherson, in uh, Nikolaev area there, and then in Kiev, Korosten, Zhitomir. But Kherson and Nikolaev, that's where the fighting continues. Uh, uh, Ukrainian army liberated the Kherson region, so they put the Russian right, you know, beyond the uh, uh, Dnieper River. But the shelling continues. Uh, last two days, been in the area and with Christians, volunteers that deliver humanitarian aid to the villages where people basically trapped, you know, without anything. We constantly heard those explosions. You know, they continue shelling residential headquarters, you know, hitting apartment buildings, you know, destroying infrastructure like power grids, you know, uh, hitting uh, houses, you know, so and uh, water installments. And so and but at the same time, I was uh, able to see how the church is shining on the top of this old destruction rising from the ashes, you know, of this tragedy, uh, providing help to people in those communities. Every community I would come, and we work a lot with these churches, enabling them to continue serving their communities, providing food, shelter, medical assistance. But in each church, I was able to see that they become the hubs, not just for relief and providing food for communities, but uh, hubs of encouragement and hope, uh, sharing with people and helping. And I've seen churches packed, you know, in the time mm. of war, a time of crisis, fighting. I've seen how people are leaning on to God 
And I'm so glad that the church is taking that leading leading position in a nation today. I've seen, you know, large organizations like uh, United Nations, they bring quite a bit of uh, support, quite a bit of relief to uh, Ukraine, but they choose to work through local churches, knowing that churches will do absolutely great job uh, distributing humanitarian aid and reaching especially to those who are in real need. So the war continues. Uh, the uh, uh, it's I mean that's a time of despair there, and but I uh, uh, and I I'm, I'm I'm glad you know so that there are so many organizations and believers uh, in the states you know and around the world that continue supporting, continue praying for Ukrainian people, helping them uh, to defend their country. I've been to villages. Uh, recently liberated, you know, villages destroyed, you know, so out of a thousand homes in the village, maybe uh, two dozens, you know, so that are still there. Uh, and but there are still people coming back to those homes because they have no other place to go. They want to come back and be at their places, fixing them, kind of putting plastic tarp over their roofs, you know, so closing their windows. We're providing uh, wood burning stoves, you know, helping them to survive cold winter there in this cold season. But when we were approaching, I've seen a group of people in this village, they were cleaning this spot where they knew we will be unloading those food boxes we delivered. And they were sweeping the street. Just think about this, Bob. You know, recently that place was bombed. It's an all in shame. Since all lots of debris destruction, they are sweeping the street because they know we are coming as guests, but mm. we're bringing help to them. And when we came, you know, and started coming out of the vehicle and taking out those food boxes, I've seen tears of joy. Those all elderly ladies, you know, so they have nobody but... I don't know, you know, so the neighbors, you know, so that's they're living with, they're giving you a hug, you know, so they are kissing you, thanking you, calling you your angels from God, you know, because they thought there is no way, you know, we can survive this. They use the word hell because they've seen the destruction. They've seen mm -hmm. the bombing. They've seen all those uh, missiles, you know, flying, you know, hitting the homes, you know, so uh, next door. And uh, so that's what Ukrainian people are today. So they are very determined. They are leaning on to God. And we see that there is a revival going in that community now. Churches are overflowing. If there is a church in a community, and if people are still there in that community, churches, you know, so they report they are congregations been doubled and tripled because mm. people are leaning coming to God. Sergey Rakuba here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website missioneurasia.org. Next up on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's Thomas Glessner, founder and president of the National Institute of Family and Life Advocates, or NIFLA, in a conversation from Washington, D.C. He shared his observations of the first March for Life since Roe v. Wade was overturned and commented on the way forward for the pro-life movement. Here now from that conversation is Thomas Glessner. I'm very encouraged. Um, when it appeared that we were going to reverse Roe, uh, my concern and the concern of many were not that it'd be reversed. Of course, it wasn't a reverse, but that the media would report, well, they won, it's over, there's no abortion issue now to talk about. 
and that uh, worse than that, oh, there'd be complacency on the side of pro-life people who say, well, we won, you know, let's go on to other things. Uh, don't need to worry about this anymore. That's really not the case at all. I think everybody here, and there's hundreds of thousands of people here, but certainly in the workshops we've had and the speakers, everybody recognizes that this is a effort that must continue, that all the Dobbs decision did, which is the name of the case, all that did was basically like our landing at Normandy Beach in World War II, put us on the beach, established a beachhead. Now, when we landed on Normandy Beach, bloody battle ensued, but we established a beachhead. But we didn't win the war. We still had to keep marching. We had to march into France into city by city, county by county, nation by nation, until we marched into Berlin and got unconditional surrender from the Nazi regime. So that that is the, the dynamic that's at play here. Uh, abortion isn't ended in America. The other side is brutally going after uh, the area of chemical abortion, which is a very much of a concern. Mm. And um, they're going after the states that have pro-life laws. Or they're going after them to try to get them taken out. And so we're in a war. We are in a war. We have landed on the beach. We've got to march. We've got to win battle by battle before we see an abortion-free America. The founder and president of the National Institute of Family and Life Advocates, Thomas Glasner, joining us today. And I understand you represent more than 1,600 pregnancy centers and medical clinics across the country. And you've touched on it already. I wanted you to dig a little bit deeper and just share what you see as maybe one or two of the principal challenges that the centers and clinics you represent are facing now as you, using that analogy, march forward. Well, the other other side, had, there was a group called Jane's Revenge, and they declared war on pregnancy centers in the aftermath of this Dobbs decision, and that resulted in 77 acts of vandalism or actual violence against pregnancy centers, firebombings of several. Uh, they have threatened the lives of pregnancy center workers. Um, and uh, th- th- that is just an extension, though, of the battle that's gone on for years. The uh, pro-abortion movement back in the early 80s essentially started a campaign to close down pro-life pregnancy centers, saying they're deceptive and uh, and need to be closed down. So... The other side viciously, viciously hates the work of pro-life pregnancy centers and are going after them in any way they can, through violence or through legislative efforts with their friends and their legislatures or through lawsuits, trying to uh, file lawsuits against them for deceptive advertising and get them closed down that way. So those are the challenges that have existed for for a long time, but they've been heightened by the Dobbs decision. And those are the real challenges and battles uh, the pregnancy centers face. What are the marching orders now for the pro-life movement as you see it from this point moving forward? Well, you know what? Uh, the Lord gave the marching orders to the children of Israel. After they cross the Red Sea, you know, go in and take the land. Okay? Now, when they crossed the Red Sea, uh, they hadn't taken the land, and they, they all they were were on dry ground on the other side. But they won a huge battle because of the Lord. And they had many things that happened to them that were negative and fighting and infighting and battles to go through before they can march in and take the land. Um, And that's going to happen to us, too. But our marching orders are take the land. 
We want to we we want to achieve an abortion-free America, America where every life is loved, welcomed, respected into the world, adopted, and and uh, there's a culture of life in our communities where uh, the act of abor- abortion is unthinkable because there's so many hmm. life-affirming alternatives for this mother thinking about abortion. Thomas Glessner here on the intersection. You can learn more about the organization at NIFLA, N-I-F-L-A dot O-R-G. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and you can learn more at meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. Through The Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests from The Intersection podcast and The Meeting House radio program. You can find links to The Intersection, to The Media Center, as well as its Apple podcast feed, Plus, there's a link to the Faith Radio YouTube channel where you can watch video from Meeting House guests. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. There's also The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations from the Beating House can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Search for Faith Radio Podcast when you visit Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, and other podcast platforms. Well, I had a chance recently to talk with former Major League Baseball relief pitcher Jason Grimsley. He had reached the pinnacle of success. He had two World Series rings with the Yankees, but had notable struggles in his life until he completely surrendered his life to Christ. He's written a book entitled Cross-Stitched, One Man's Journey from Ruin to Restoration. From a recent Meeting House conversation, this is Jason Grimsley now. As on fire as I was that first year, over the next seven years, it was just a, I'm not going to say it was a slow fall because it was a, there was a couple of times where it was just cliffs I fell off of. Uh, my, my brother-in-law, who's a lot younger than I was, my wife's brother, he, he, he killed himself when he was 21 years old and called me about a half hour before and that, that crushed me. And I'd already fallen away from my faith at that point in 2005. And then 2006 came with the Mitchell report and the, the, the uh, substance enhancing or steroid abuse scandal that, that took place. And I was right in the middle of that. And I basically just walked away from baseball right in the middle of the season. And with the hole from leaving baseball and everything that I dealt with when I was a, a young man and my brother-in-law and all the scars that I, that were self-imposed that, that really began the, the, one of the darkest periods of my life from 2000, probably six till 2015. There was 19 years there where I was as lost as any other human could be. I was a great chameleon. I was great at hiding it. I was, I went to two different rehabs, one different psych ward. And every time I went in, I came out and I was just as mad as I was when I went in, you know, and, um, came to a head in 2000, August 21st, 2015, where I felt like that my, my family and my, my kids and everybody around me would be better off. If I wasn't here. Oh. You know, that was, that was a lie that was, uh, sold to me by, by the, by evil, by the devil, dark one, whatever you want to call him. 
it, whatever it is. And um, took a got about an ounce of cocaine, half a dozen bottles of vodka. And after three days, that didn't work. So figured I'd take a gun and do it right. Wrote a note to everybody I loved and cared about. Told them it wasn't their fault. Sorry as a failure. And went out in the woods and cocked the gun, turned around, pulled the trigger, and the gun didn't go off. And my goodness. In that moment, hmm. I um, I was, my dad didn't have the, I guess I didn't have the courage to do it again. And I sat there and I said, all right, God, you won't let me live. You won't let me die. What do you want? And that began the, instead of the, the real quick fire, on fire, fuzzy, warm feeling that I had in the 1999 when I was baptized. And, and came to Christ. It was more of a slow burn. He said, okay, I'm going to walk you through this. We're not going to sprint. There's nothing you can do for me. It's what I can do for you. And that began the, the healing process. And then mm. in the midst, in the midst of that, I, I had, uh, after I got out of that particular facility, I came home and I was still of the mind that my family and my friends would be better off without me. So I was leaving the house. I was moving out. And my wife came to me the day the day, day before, and uh, the grace that she showed me opened opened my eyes and my heart to the grace that that Jesus has for me. She, she told me, she said, no, this works without you. I forgive you. I know the Lord forgives you, and I want you to forgive yourself. And that particular moment opened my eyes to what Jesus looks like in another person and what I wanted to look like as a, as a human being. Mm. Um, you know, with, with George McGovern's help, with my wife's help, with um, Michael Smalley's help, with uh, Jeff Wells, my pastor's help, uh, Bo Mitchell, and a, a, gr- a group of, of like-minded men, Christ-like men. You know, I, I, I was still standoffish, but it was, it was like the armor that I'd built, God was slowly chipping away. And replace it with his armor. Yeah. And um, got to the point where I wanted to tell my story. And went, and went to Athletes in Action in Zeno, Ohio. First time I ever told my story was in a small group of seven people. When I got done telling it, it was just dead quiet. And to a man there, all of them said, you got to go tell your story. You got to get this out there. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna help people. Mm. And that, that began the process of the book. And, you know, here we are today. And I have the, the blessing of, of talking to you and speaking with you and getting it out there and sharing the word and trying to do whatever God asked me to do next. Jason Grimsley here on The Intersection. You can find out more information about the organization that benefits from the sale of the book, Emerging Grace Ministries, by going to emerginggrace.org which has a goal to open a residential campus for recovered adolescents to call a safe home. Well, this is the Intersection Podcast. Finally, on this edition of the program, to coincide with the release of the 2023 World Watch List, identifying the top 50 countries in persecution of Christians, Lisa Pierce, interim CEO of the Open Doors U.S. National Base, and Weibo Nikolai, World Watch List founder and former Open Doors Global Field Director, talked about this year's list and its implications and trends. 
Here now is a portion of that conversation as Lisa comments on the top 10 countries in the World Watch List published by Open Doors. Here now is Lisa Pierce. North Korea is back at number one. Um, as you know, it had been number one for many years, was displaced last year because of uh, the extreme um, uh, violence against Christians in Afghanistan last year with the withdrawal of troops. That didn't mean that North Korea had got better. It simply meant that Afghanistan had got worse. So North Korea continues to uh, be, a, you'd say, a near impossible place to live as a Christian, and yet the church continues to grow. That's because God is always at work. Um, next is Somalia. It's well, Somalia, Yemen, and Libya I could probably speak to you together because there are similar um, issues going on in each country. There is a lawlessness. The governments where there are stable governments, for example, Somalia, there was a stable transition of government last year, but actually the governments don't have reach into the people. So there isn't any, um, any recourse to justice when there's violence and the government doesn't really have control over their people's uh, Christianity, well, religion, is very associated with tribe and loyalty to your tribe. So there are desperate consequences for those who would want to convert. Uh, Eritrea has been referred to many times as the North Korea of Africa. Again, uh, surveillance of Christians. There are actually many Orthodox Christians in the country, but for those who convert, for those who want to reach out to others, the situation is very serious. Nigeria, I'm sure we'll talk about in more detail, but Nigeria is the crucible of violence across sub-Saharan Africa, but sadly the situation in Nigeria is far from unique now. It is the most advanced, it's where there are the most killings of Christians that we have recorded, but that, but it is, it's almost the lead of, of a pack now and right across sub-Saharan Africa, um, there's tremendous violence against Christians. In fact, there are seven out of, seven out of the ten countries where we recorded the greatest violence against Christians have been in sub-Saharan Africa. Pakistan, again, there, if you convert um, to Christianity in Pakistan, the consequences are very grave for the established church. The Christians are very much seen as second-class citizens. They, there is no recourse to justice when there's violence against them. We see a lot of violence against women. Iran, the situation there continues to be very difficult at a government level in terms the, the church is continuing to grow there. There is generally less not always, but generally less persecution from your direct family or your community because many Muslims in Iran are not big fans of the government. But in terms of the infrastructure, the legal environment in which Christians are living and breathing in Iran, the situation is serious. In Afghanistan, the situation last year came to the headlines and there was very clear targeting of Christians and several things happened. One is that tragically many Christians were killed. Secondly, many Christians who could fled. Thirdly, the ones that didn't flee and weren't killed went deeper underground even than before because of the dangerous, very dangerous situation there. So there have been fewer incidents, fewer recordings of violence and deaths in Afghanistan this year. That doesn't mean the situation has got better. It simply means that it's changed and people are even more afraid than they were at the beginning of last year. And uh, finally, in Afghanistan, there are more NGOs there, so there are more expatriate Christians, and our commitment for Open Doors is that we consider each group of the church in the country to come to a, a total figure. So the fact that there are expatriates there with NGOs who have a little more freedom to exercise their faith and who aren't converts, that's wrapped into that, um, that points rating that takes Afghanistan to number nine. But make no mistake, 
but the Christians, the indigenous Christians, the existing church in Afghanistan that were there from the beginning of last year, the situation for them is just as bad today as it was last year. And finally, Sudan, that has the situation there has changed a lot over recent years. Um, it was desperate, um, kind of 2015, 2016, especially in the contested area of the Nuba Mountains, which bordered the south. Um, there's some stability that came over the last few years, but sadly, in this most recent in this last year again, um, with some changes in the power structure um, for the Christians, it is becoming the, the the more hopeful trajectory that it was on over the last couple of years has now stopped and turned around, and the squeeze is really back on the church. Comments from Lisa Pierce of Open Doors here on the intersection. You can learn more by going to opendoorsus.org. We are nearing the end of this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. And you can find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. Through that Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center. That's where you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection and the Meeting House radio program. You can also find links to the podcast, to the Media Center, as well as its Apple Podcast feed. And you can find a link to the Faith Radio YouTube channel, through which you can watch video of Meeting House guests. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. There's also The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.